What do you see? Your companion asks you. Shh. You instinctively hush them without thinking. Listening intently. Their eyes clamped shut. You take the occasional sniff. You take in everything your new magical companion experiences. At first it was overwhelming as you smelled, tasted, saw, and heard, and even felt the environment in two separate places at once. However, you quickly took control, allowed each to flow freely, and now you simply stamp one out when needed. Instinctive, yet disciplined. You think to yourself, maybe my eyes do not need to be closed, but then you humbly feel it is helping to maintain your concentration. And perhaps discipline is not quite the right word to use just yet. Focusing your mind back to the task at hand, you take a quick, deep inhale through your nostrils. Sulfur dioxide. Very distinct. You would expect to smell it where you stand now in your own alchemical lab, but through your companion in a latrine? Come on, is he in there? Shh. You hush your companion a second time. And with a little flapping of wings, the homunculus repositions itself to look over another wall. And through its eyes, you spot a half-orc in the midst of his, shall we say, business. You watch him fumble with something in his hands, and then suddenly a flash of light and fire. The half-orc lets out a hefty cough. <coughs> the light winks out in a puff and stream of smoke as he shakes the object in his hand. Sulfur dioxide again. But not before you take in a paralyzing whiff of methyl mercaptan. You let out your own dry hack. <coughs> Unfortunately, you accidentally do it through your newly constructed ally. The half-orc jumps up. Who's there? And almost at the same time of being spotted, the half-orc reaches for the homunculus, knocking it askew mid-takeoff. It tumbles downward and plunges into the depths of the half-orc's throne of excrement. And all you can think is, this was a huge mistake. As your now scattered brain tries to ignore your connection to the creature, smells and flavors most foul flood you as you gag uncontrollably. <laughs> Roll a constitution saving throw. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Well, hello there, creatures. I've got my monster manual open and my notebook ready to go, so that must mean it's another episode of Encounter This. And I am your host, James, a.k.a. Frankenstein's Monster, and with me, as always, is Freeman, the alchemist, Iston. Wait, did you say Frankenstein's Monster? Yeah. Because I wrote Freeman Stein's monster. I just my brain <laughs> auto-corrected that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! That's fine. Uh, did you know? Uh, we'll just we'll get right into that then. Uh, <laughs> okay. Did you know that uh, Frankenstein is technically a homunculus? 
I don't think that's true. I think Hamunky. Uh, I think Frankenstein is a Briton. Um. Uh, <laughs> this, um, <laughs> I don't. Does I mean? Do, does he have a? a, a I think Frankenstein's a monster is a homunculus. God damn it! Victor von Frankenstein <laughs> himself is is a is a British citizen. Actually, what? Yeah, was was Doctor was Doctor Frankenstein uh, uh, English? Yeah, he was English of German heritage. Oh, okay, all right. I mean, I'm prepared to be corrected on that. It's been probably 15 years since I've read Frankenstein. But Yeah, fair enough. Well, um, there I was, just corrected like a, like a good internet meme that it was actually <laughs> Frankenstein's monster. Uh, something I did know better of, but just didn't think of it at the time. Um, I mean, it's written here, Freemanstein's monster. I it's, know. It's hard I to lord that over you when, when, when you did the work. <laughs> Still, still fucked it up. What do you know? Nah, it was just a just uh, a common misstep. We were all brought up thinking <laughs> Frankenstein was the. This monster. is true. Yeah, uh, it was a classic '90s Halloween costume. Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Everywhere like, you went, someone, was someone like, was that was that. not a 1990s book. That was a. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was an early one. Uh, 1823, um, I think. <laughs> well, anyway, we're gonna talk about the homunculus. Homunculus, um, eh? Homunculus, yeah, it's on Monster Manual, page thirty-six, and Can't. these guys are pretty, uh, pretty, pretty cool. I'm pretty looking nifty. forward to it. Yeah, um, I feel like there's a. I mean, homebrew could end up being a com- quite the conversation, but um, I mean, on the surface, with the five uh, E lore, uh, there's not too too much. Uh, they they are pretty simple to understand. Uh, homunculus is a construct. Uh, and they are created through magic and material components, and they act as an extension of their creator through a magical bond. Okay. They share thoughts, senses, languages, and to an extent, life. And if the creator dies, so does the homunculus. Conversely, the homunculus dies, and its creator suffers damage. So. Okay. Um, is this similar? Is this like Souljar? Is that what Souljar, the spell Souljar, does? Does it create like a homunculus, or can you can you? That that's a good question. I don't think I've ever read Souljar. Okay. Um, but there is a mechanical method of creating one uh, in the game, uh, but we will definitely come to that a little bit later. Um, now, these shared features between a homunculus and its creator can stretch over a good distance. According to the Eberron setting, it is 1,500 feet, uh, provided the creator and the construct are on the same plane of existence. Now, outside of the Eberron setting, there is no specification. So uh, it could just be simply on the same plane of existence. It could be interpreted that way, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, I like the idea of having a cap on it, but, um, but there it is. The homunculus is crafted through rare ritual magic using clay, ash, and the spellcaster's own blood for materials. And sometimes the mandrake root is added to the recipe. This appears only in 5e. People love the mandrake uh. root, the side of the <laughs> year 2000, it seems like. Uh, uh, before anybody jumps on me, uh, it is the spell magic jar, and that is not how it mm. works. Okay, then. <laughs> there we go. A quick, quick errata for us <laughs> right out of the gate. Um, oh, maybe it is. Anyway, it uh, doesn't matter. But it, it is the spell magic jar. We'll, we'll look deeper into magic, it later. Magic jar. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so these uh, creations are very faithful, and they only amount to about the size of a squirrel. They are used for various things, such as being spies, emissaries, messengers, and sometimes even in secret magical experimentation. 
Um, they are unable to speak aloud, but can communicate telepathically with their creator. As with the shared senses, they can use telepathy to transmit anything they see or hear as well. That's cool. Yeah. So I would imagine, I would imagine as far as secret magical experimentation goes, they, they, they're used as a sort of proxy to get in close where it might be dangerous, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, they kind of must be, or like, mm. um, like a pair of second hands. Exactly. They're the Igor. They're, ironically, they're the Igor of this situation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even though Frankenstein's monster is the homunculus, uh, these things seem to be created with the intention of being Igor or taking Igor's role. Um, yeah, or like the minions from that Minions movie. Right. That one. Or Despicable oh, Me. No, oh, no, prior. I do know what you're talking about. I did not. <laughs> right away, I was like, what the hell is that? Uh, I've never seen it, but I know. I do know what you mean. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it, so in physical appearance, they resemble winged humanoid creatures, similar to gargoyles or tiny demons. Uh, if you look at the artwork, uh, I would argue the humanoid part and definitely lean towards the tiny demon part. I think um, that's just a bipedal is what Yeah, fair enough. To. Yeah, they're not necessarily uh, quadrupeds, but um, uh, in some cases, mages will try to make them appear more human. Uh, so none of the artwork really reflects that, but I, I guess that's probably where the humanoid... Uh, Fourie looks like it reflects more. that. These dudes look huge in Fourie. Oh, yeah, I suppose he does. Yeah, they, they, yep. yeah. that that artwork does make him look quite large, eh? It's, it's very hard to imagine that, that thing the size of a squirrel. <laughs> well, I mean, I could imagine it, but there's no way the wings can carry it. Like, mathematically, right, sure. that doesn't add up. Yeah, but they're magical. I mean, I think they're vestigial. <laughs> In any case, uh, anytime we bring up the uh, artwork, feel free to hop on our Instagram. It's encounter.this. Uh, and we'll always have that posted up with the episodes from here on out. And uh, there's actually lots of uh, stuff uh, from the past episodes as well that I've been posting recently. Which we um, don't own. We, we want to make it clear we're oh, not yeah, claiming no, we ownership over this artwork. It is. Uh, it is all appreciation for the artwork. Uh, <laughs> some of it ex- uh, as across as many editions as we as we can uh, find. Uh, and there's lo- uh, there's a few so far. There's definitely a few uh, extra pieces of artwork that are that are pretty nifty. Um, but yeah, all credit goes to uh, Wizards of the Coast and and the various uh, artists and writers that they uh, employ and have employed. Yes. Um, now, as far as the homunculus go, I, there are uh, some rare cases, like I said, where the mages will try and make them look a little more human, and particularly vain mages are known to uh, try to make them look like themselves, apparently. <laughs> oh, really? Um, yeah, they don't, they don't elaborate beyond that, but it's, it's just a little extra flavor text, it okay. seems. I mean, why wouldn't you want a second version of yourself walking around? Yeah, well, with wings, no less. Oh, now, yeah, I guess it would still be <laughs> tiny with wings, right? Tiny with wings, yeah. That'd be adorable. That's the, that seems to be the standard, yeah. Um, Mini me. <laughs> yeah. Now that that's literally it for the five E lore. Uh, oh shit. That's it. Yeah, but luckily we have the Eberron setting for five E now, and um, right. So it take is, an Eberron. Yeah, uh, and w- what's what's fun about this is um, I love the Eberron setting. I, I think it's not quite up your alley. It, it does it does that uh, a strong mix of technology uh, into the fantasy setting. Um, yeah, and it's not what I wanted a five E, right? And the the five E game that I'm playing with my friend Max TM, and he's uh, he, it's a custom world, but it's very Eberron inspired. Uh, it's a lot of airships and and uh, uh, he's included the like biomancy and various things like that. Oh, that's cool. Um, 
wizards straight up don't exist in the current state of his world. Like the magic has uh, almost entirely disappeared. Yet uh, you still have this this technology and, and a lot of magic being driven in a mysterious way. It's pretty nifty. But uh, in the Eberron setting, artificing uh, is a very prominent component, and homunculi play a more significant role and come in wider varieties of shape and size. And I believe Eberron, I don't know how far back it was It was uh, uh, first introduced, but I, I think it might be around 3.5e. Somebody will uh, tell us. People love Eberron. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they appear in various sorts of books, uh, in, up to and including Eberron campaign setting. Magic of Eberron, City of Stormreach, Faiths of Eberron, Five Nations, and even a dungeon magazine publication called Critical Threat, Lord of Blades. Uh, so oh. all of these things mention homunculus in some form or another. And Lord of Blades specifically, a little side bit, is a famous warforged leader who had two homunculi named Hilt and Pommel. I, uh, I have if, questions about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, is a Warforged not a homunculi to begin with? That's a very good question. Uh, I don't. I don't 100% know uh, the lore. It's been a while since I've read it on the, on the Warforged. Uh, they wouldn't be far off the mark, though. Now that being said, I, th- I think uh, Warforged were um, created. Uh, don't quote me in this. I think they were created without magic first. They were more clockwork. Oh, okay. Uh, and if I'm wrong about that, they were a mixture of, of the two. But then uh, a, a huge magical event happens in the world of Eberron. And uh, within that area where they have the five nations, and uh, it basically granted them sentience. Is this so? Okay, this sounds very similar to Hellboy Two in the Golden Army. Do you remember that movie? <laughs> I do remember that movie. It's been a while, but I remember really enjoying it. It's good. I like it. Yeah, mm. highly endorse Hellboy Two. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, okay, so are they yeah, like Warforged? I, I like. I love both those films actually. What's that? Sorry. So are they like Warforged though? Is what I'm getting at. Uh. Are homunculi like Warforged? No, are the Golden Army? Are they are they similar to Warforged? Like they're kind of clockwork, kind of magic. Yeah, I guess so. I I, I want to say yes, but I, it really has been long enough that I don't remember the details okay. on, on on the Golden Army. Um, but it, it I would say it wouldn't be too big a stretch to make that comparison. Yeah, um, write in and tell us, listeners. Somebody out there knows. Yeah, tell us what you tell us how you feel. Um, so the uh. Yeah, Warforged uh, are a playable race in that setting. Um, I'm actually currently playing one, uh, playing a, a Warforged Artificer, um, which is uh, going to be a little extra insight in, in exactly this topic, which is uh, pretty fun. But um, oh, That's good. That is, uh, uh, for the most part, um, the uh, lore behind it in, in Dungeons & Dragons. Despite that, uh, what's there, that's about it for okay. homunculi as a creature or entity itself. They're very tied into many other things, it would seem, especially more the alchemy or artificer side of things, and, and obviously the Warforged to a degree. But for all intents and purposes, they are a very simple creature. Uh, they really only exist if someone decides to create one, and they basically serve a master. They don't have a mind of their own. They, are not, uh, they don't have circumstances in which they are high, more highly intelligent and function on their own, uh, unless you count the Warforged uh, creation. Right, um, but otherwise, yeah, very simple uh, lore-wise for for uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It's like a stepping so we will stone move. to a golem. Yeah, yeah, actually, and I think I think uh, coming up in the notes here, there's going to be a slight reference to that. Oh, excellent! Um, you know, I love golems. Yeah, 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 uh, I, and actually, I think it it uh, it's, uh, relies a little bit more on the uh, leans a little bit more into the real world history, which we're going to go into right now. Awesome! Let's um, let's check that out. So, the concept. 
uh, for a homunculus specifically was popularized in the 16th century and then gained momentum in fiction during the 19th century. Uh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So obviously uh, you're looking at Mary Shelley's Frankenstein monster. That, that's probably about, uh, around the time that that, uh, that picked up. Uh, oh, I was going to say Gutenberg's goes. printing press. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I wrote here in my, uh, my, my, uh, the notes you could probably see that uh, it, was, uh, it became popular in fiction, uh, you know, uh, three centuries later, and I just wrote tomato, tomato. Um, it's, it's, right. it's, it's fiction across the board, right? So al- alchemy, uh, some might argue has like some, some provable merits, but, but you know, it's, a, uh, since its inception, it's, it's gone through lots of ludicrous things yeah. that just aren't true. As somebody and, who's um, read a lot of alchemist books and, and really looked into the theory of alchemy, I can tell you that it's all hot garbage these days. Oh yeah. It, it, ultimately it comes down to more of a, philo- a philosophy as opposed to an actual applied science. Um, not that they didn't try to apply the science, and the um, philosophy is kind of weak from the books I've read by more modern guys. It's yeah. it's all it's all like crystal healing and hot. Right. Yeah. I don't I don't want to offend it. anybody, but I do not believe or condone in crystal healing. Medicine nope. is a real thing that we do. We should yeah. we should keep up with medicine. Pseudoscience is fun to research and and look at and explore, um, but it is not fun to lean on. Um, <laughs> all sorts of dangers there. And speaking of <laughs> pseudoscience, alchemy uh, first appeared in the writings of someone named Paracelsus. He was a Swiss physician, an alchemist, and lay theologian, specifically meaning he had no formal training in theology. And he was also a philosopher. And he lived from approximately ni- 1493, 1494, about his birth, uh, to 1541. So he lived in like Spe- the golden age of science. Is that the golden age of science? <laughs> well, it's kind of like the birth of science. That's where like um, like Tycho Brahe and uh, uh, Hubble were around. Okay, sure. Like uh, that's that's when astronomy really kind of started to pick up his steam in the late fourteen hundreds, early fifteen hundreds. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, um, astronomy. So for him, astronomy. Yeah, not astrology. Okay, thank unless you. you. Unless I, you're thinking I, astrology. Fucking, no, no, no. I mean the real one, not not the. Not I did. The fake uh, one. I, speaking of pseudoscience, I actually did the same pause, but like not audibly, and I was like, "Did he say the right one? Did he say the right one?" Do <laughs> <Okay, laughs> you have to correct him? No, he got it. He got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, as far as Paracelsus goes, specifically, he has a book called *De Homunculis*. Homunculis. Homunculis. I'm uh, not up to 100% up to snuff in my Latin pronunciations. Um, and the book was released between 1529 and 1532. And also another book called De Natura Rerum, which I'm reasonably sure I pronounced right, uh, which is around 1537. And not to be confused with De Rerum Natura, uh, which means on the nature of things. Uh, I could not figure out what the other one uh, might mean. Um, I'm sure it's not much different, though. Uh, the uh, thing but of that nature. One in particular, yeah, <laughs> the thing of nature. Uh that one in particular was written by a Roman poet and philosopher named Lucretius. Um, now, for Paracelsus, uh, I think it's in De Homunculus, uh, he outlines the creation of a homunculus. So I'm going to read you an excerpt from that. Oh, please. Uh, get, get ready for this. I'm going to strap myself <laughs> this in. Is, this is my favorite part okay, <laughs> of this whole show already. Okay. I'm ready. Quote, that the sperm of a man be putrefied by itself in a sealed cucur... Cucurbit, which is a gourd, uh, G-O-U-R-D, 
uh, sealed in this cucurbit for 40 days with the highest degree of putrefaction in a horse's womb, or at least so long that it comes to life and moves itself and stirs, which is easily observed. After this, it will look somewhat like a man, but transparent, without a body. If, after this, it be fed wisely with the arcanum of human blood and be nourished for up to 40 weeks and be kept in the even heat of the horse's womb, a living child, a living human child grows therefrom and with all its members like another child, which is born of a woman, but much smaller. So do you want to take on the translation for that or should I? (laughs) Uh, so you take some, uh, sperm from a man and you let it curdle inside of a gourd inside of a horse's womb. Yeah. Uh, So you fuck a squash and then stick that squash in a horse. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Stick that inside a horse's womb. Uh, it doesn't specify if the horse is alive or not. Um, but I, it does say that if you keep it in there in the even heat. Based on this time frame, it kind of has to be. It kinda, yeah, uh, so it you fuck a gourd, or, yeah. <laughs> so you fuck a gourd and put it in a horse's womb for forty days, and then it'll start to move. It starts to move, uh, and, and it will kind of apparently form it starts to look somewhat like a man. Yeah, but but it has no body. Yeah, and you have to start giving it magic blood <laughs> yeah. for another forty days, forty weeks, right. mm-hmm. and then it will come out as a very very small human being. Correct. Uh, as if it was born from a woman, it'll have all the same all the same pieces and, and extremities. I think this is the first time on the show we've ever suggested that you give a ghost magical human blood. But uh, it ma- it makes me wonder uh, how much someone who writes that believed it, or if he was honestly just doing what we're doing and practicing our creative writing. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, and then someone that took is it that is demonstrable. <laughs> like he could test this. I right. mean, it wouldn't. It Anyone wouldn't, of us it wouldn't could work. Like test you, it. you could not. I, I'm telling you, listeners, I have no experience with horses or fucking squashes, but I can tell you for a fact <laughs> that you could not keep a squash inside of a horse's womb for 40 weeks and 40 days. It's not a thing. <laughs> it's not a thing. It's just not. Um, it's just not possible. So that is that is your that is our our foundational outline for the creation of a homunculus. Uh, I like IRL. It. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good, it's good. It's, um, it's better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be the same origin as the gargoyle. If you remember that, a man just sculpts it out of clay and then um, emotes so hard at it that it comes to life. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Now this one takes a little bit more work. Well, no, I just sculpting. I don't know. I Imagine we'll, having know. to tape a horse's womb shut for forty weeks. Like this takes way more work. <laughs> you got to get magic not, human blood, not... like. <laughs> There's so many kind of this does not support any any uh, uh, attempts at, at uh, uh, trying these experiments. Not in this particular way. No, we we, no. we disagree with this experiment. Scientifically, yes. we can just talk this out, and it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, However, so, if you do want to sculpt something of clay and emote at it real hard, we'd be interested to hear the results. Yeah, <laughs> please send us a video of you emoting <laughs> at a clay sculpture. That'd be oh lovely. God, yes. <laughs> Add us do on Twitter. <laughs> if it's too big, um, email us at info at encounterthis.ca. <laughs> um, so uh, from there, we'll we'll get into a, a few sort of historical comparisons to this sort of original homunculus idea. Um, there's been a number made through the centuries for sure. 
despite the fact that the word homunculus was never used, there is a famed Swiss psychiatrist or psycho uh, or a psychoanalyst uh, known as Carl Jung. You might be familiar with I to am. some degree. Um, he didn't use the word homunculus, but he did posit the first uh, mention of the concept comes from uh, the vision of Zosimos, in which Zosimos of Panapolis, an Egyptian-born Greek alchemist and mystic from the 3rd and 4th centuries, describes a sequence of dreams related to alchemy. In the visions, he relates proto-science to religious ex- experiences, and specific to this topic, he encounters a priest who changes into, quote, the opposite of himself into a mutilated anthroparian. Uh, so anthroparian is Greek, uh, were, is the Greek word for diminutive form of a person, which ma- makes it very similar to uh, the other real life uh, homunculus description. Essentially, it is a, a, a mini a mini person. And for those of you who are confused by Egyptian-born Greek uh, in the 3rd th- mm. through 6th century, Panopolis yeah. was an Egyptian city uh, occupied by Greek or Romans eventually. Yeah. Um, it is yeah. modern-day Akmin, I think. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I feel like you're right. I feel, I feel like I read that. It rings a bell anyway. Spoiler, this um, comes up in, in, in the next episode we're about to record. Uh, amazing. All right, then. <laughs> How... Quaint? It was quaint. Quaint's not the word I was looking for. Segacious. That's that's yep. a word I just made up. I love it. <laughs> and I'm that's going to be our first T-shirts. Encounter this. <laughs> segacious. <laughs> a segacious of a time. Yeah. Hit <laughs> no, us up on Twitter called. or Instagram if you want a segacious T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the combination of segue and delicious. <laughs> segacious. I'm into it. I think we should lean uh, in. <laughs> I think we should Let's get a, get a sequacious coffee mug, <laughs> just pretty on the front. Yeah, I'm in. Um, I'm in. I'm on board. You sold so, me. So, uh, so we've got. Uh, what was the name of the, the city you said it was called? I think it's Akmin. Akmin, okay. Or uh, Akmin. Very Akmin, okay. Uh, well, uh, another comparison uh, comes from the concept of Takwin. I, I have no idea if I'm saying that right. Uh, it is uh, Arabic, I believe, or possibly Hebrew. Um, it is uh, is the concept of, it is a philosophy as a goal of Muslim alchemists, and notably Jabir ibn Hayyan. Again, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Is uh, sort of the forefront of Muslim alchemists in this concept or this this goal, this philosophy. Taquin refers, excuse me. Taquin refers to the creation of synthetic synthetic life in a laboratory. Okay. Uh, up to up to and including human life. So there's a, a quick fun fact uh, about uh, that particular... Th- there's not much on it, to be honest. Uh, but this fun fact might explain why. Um, it is unsure if Jabir ibn Hayyan meant this literally, this concept, this taqwin, and, and this goal for synthetic life in a laboratory. Uh, the reason it's not sure if it's meant to be taken literally is because he was famous for a book called The Book of Stones, and it is known that he deliberately wrote it in a highly esoteric code, meaning only those initiated into his alchemical school could understand what is written in it and amazing. know which parts are meant to be symbolic or taken literally. That is and amazing. No one, isn't that cool? Yeah. So we, we, we really have no idea if, if it was like, you know, something to pass over because he, he had it all coded and essentially and you had, would have to have your, your sort of uh, key, if you will. Um, to, can we, to get in can, there. Is, does this book still exist today? Can we buy this? 
I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I did not look that up. Uh, but I, w- I would imagine... Um, yeah, I don't, that's a very good question. Uh, it would be cool if, if, if it does exist. I'm sure we could find a PDF somewhere. Yeah, and we'll get a copy of anymore. For sure, if, it, if it's still around. <laughs> yeah. Um, that sounds incredible. Super cool, yeah. Uh, and then uh, we have yet another uh, comparison that appears in Parachelsus's writings uh, in a 63 Are we sold book. on that pronunciation? Sorry. Uh, yeah, that's when I looked up. Okay, cool. I actually, uh, I'm not up to date on my, uh, on my uh, Latin pronunciation in, in total, but I did go out of my way for this one in particular, and no, I'm, I'm like 99% sure it is Paracelsus. Okay, I've just always um, heard it Paracelsus, but it could be one of those Genghis Genghis Khan kind of things. Like it's always <laughs> right. been wrong yeah, in yeah, pop yeah. culture. Yeah, yeah. There was a, there was a. I recall there being a specific guide of, like, you know, if the C is followed by this or preceded by that, then it is a CH sound kind of thing. Okay, cool. So that's the sort of thing I came across, and then I kind of skimmed through the rest, so I didn't really uh, log it. Um, but yeah, a parach- uh, sorry, uh, I have to recant. Uh, yet another uh, appears after Parachelsus's writings, not in his writings. Right. Uh, and this, uh, this comparison appears in a 16th century book called The Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosencruz. Uh, it was anonymously <laughs> authored. Yeah. <laughs> Chemical with a C-H-Y. Um, it was an anonymously authored book. But it is attributed to Johannes Valentinus Andre, a German theologian. And in the book, uh, it's basically uh, an allegorical book, and it finishes with the creation of two homunculi, a male and a female. And this was meant to suggest the goal of, of alchemy was not chryso, uh, chrysopia, I think it's pronounced, uh, which is the classic transmutation into gold via the Philosopher's Stone but rather the ultimate goal of uh, alchemy was the artificial generation of human life so or synthetic creation as far as i've read that that is actually true um, even in even in newton's notes that's what he was looking for was kind of the synthetic um, right, creation yeah. of human life not so is, isn't that isn't that funny how uh, I, must be pop culture that has attributed that idea of transmutation to gold um, as the, as the forefront like why else would we think about it other than that, like uh, it never occurred to me that Frankenstein um, was necessarily an alchemist uh, who was trying to create a homunculus. You know. Well, um, I think technically just, Frankenstein was a galvanist. If we're if we're being okay, sure. We're being pedantic. Yeah. Um, there, but that that was part of that whole era, right? Like um, in the early 18th century, when when Mary Shelley was writing it, people the the. Um, the new Renaissance period, people were super into galvanization and what it could do. Uh, it was at the mm-hmm. forefront of science. That's where we get things like um, the basis of things like CTE. We definitely don't get uh, uh, cognitive electrotherapy there, but we do get the basis um, laid down right. there. So it was used pretty heavily in science. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was proven that you could shock a body and make its limbs dance. So, you know, Mary right, Shelley, yeah. being an educated woman, took that to the, the next step during their horror novelathon. Sure, yeah. Uh, pretty nifty, pretty nifty. Um, I've never read uh, Frankenstein, but I feel like I need to now. It's good. Like all of yeah. the, so, I, I think there's three books that come out of that. Um, yeah, there's uh, Shelley's 1923 Frankenstein. There's um, uh, sorry, Mary Shelley's 1923 Frankenstein. There's Percy Shelley's 1927 uh, vampire novel, which I can't remember the title of. And there's a collective mm-hmm. works of. Um, body short stories by lord byron that's also absolutely excellent mm-hmm. uh well i mean let's let's just put those on the the 
reading list. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> what have we got to lose? <laughs> if you write those down, because you know them, uh, that'd be awesome. The uh, <laughs> um, I need to be, uh, fuck, I need to make more time for reading. That's for sure. I'm so I'm so bad at that. Well, it's uh, funny that you say that. This week's episode is brought to us by Audible for when you don't have time to read real books like a grown-up. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to my podcast so I can use that more. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is not brought to you by Audible, and we highly recommend reading paper books, though Audible is an excellent service, and I use it. If they want to sponsor us, that's Uh, a sample of the ad that they can have. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I've used it plenty myself uh, previously. I've, I've uh, unsubscribed uh, for the moment, just so, again, catching up on the podcast. So uh, um, once I'm caught up there, I'll probably uh, put a little more um, effort into that for sure. Right. Well, I mean... Go back, go back to some audiobooks. Frankenstein's also like a novella. Like, you crush it in an afternoon. It's like 200 oh, yeah? pages. It's yeah, not it's not oh, a okay. book. Yeah. None oh, of the really? books from that time are very big. Like, Bram Stoker's Dracula, I think, is like 180 pages. Like, these are, yeah. these are afternoon beach books. Okay, cool. All right, easy. I'll do that then. Mm-hmm. I'll do that soon. Uh, I'll report back in, listeners. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm excited no to hear your thoughts on the ending. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, we'll get a touch into a little bit uh, where Homunculus falls into a bit of folklore. There's not too much here, but oh. um, it does not appear... A homunculus specifically does not appear prior to 16th century alchemy writings, essentially. Uh, obviously, alchemy goes much farther back. We've, we've already talked about you know, as far back as, as uh, 3rd century. but um, Yeah, I think it goes even farther back, if I'm not mistaken. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Islamic scholars were way ahead of the West, and they kind of just labeled all right. that shit magic. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they, they ha- in their own right, they had their own um, uh, sort of golden age of science, right? Islam? Islam led the way for science for a long, yeah, long time, and it's kind of been time. buried by white culture, but it's it's yeah. really interesting. They invented mathematics, navigation. Like, there's a reason we use the Arabic number system, and it's because the Roman system yeah. was bullshit and clunky. Yeah. Total side note, uh, I really, I just came across a video I'd seen many times uh, the other day, but um, Carl Sagan, uh, famous astrophysicist, he uh, was uh, famous in the 70s especially, I think, and, and was so he was so good at explaining science and physics to it to you know in a sort of layman's terms and uh and really really good at demonstrating some of the more fascinating aspects of of physics and um there's just a quick little like uh he's i know he's referencing in that that area of the world uh, how they knew uh, the world was round based on yeah. uh, how shadows worked off of like ob- obelisks they had built and it's really it's cool it's really fascinating and he's literally just got like a little a uh, 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 flat piece of uh like Bristol board with two fake obelisks on it, and he just shows you in the sun how you know when he bends it and versus when it's straight how the shadows work, and it's 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 fascinating. It's, it's a very simple uh, way of, uh, and he he was um, he calculated the curvature of the Earth uh, with very very little. Uh, basically, his eyes and the shadows and the timing of the sun, and he hired someone to walk and count the steps, and he mm. was, like, really, really close to the accuracy. It's inc- it's incredible. All you need uh, is, like, a straight edge. Yeah. Yeah, and Carl Sagan, like, just breaks it down. So I, I love that guy. Since this episode's so uh, so scientific, everyone go watch some Carl Sagan. Yeah, shout it's out to Sagan and everybody who came after him. Bill Nye, yeah. Michio Kaku, uh, Neil deGrasse mm-hmm. Tyson's the newest one. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, they have they've had their polarizing moments in the media, but uh, but the, at the core, their 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 teachings and stuff about science are, are so cool. Yeah, they're super cool. And shout out to Miss. Oh uh, yes. Shout out to who? Miss Frizzle. Miss Frizzle. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. What a treat. <laughs> okay. Um, 
take take so me away from science yeah, and back into folklore. folklore. <laughs> yeah, let's get to folklore. Um, so obviously, there's some comparison in other folklore, uh, namely golems, uh, like you had just brought up, um, uh, which are from golems. Jewish folklore specifically. And uh, we'll I mean, I didn't really this. look into that, but that that is a, a really a big, uh, a commonly uh, compared uh, creature and historical uh, idea. And the mandragora, specifically, um, uh, is is commonly compared. And I would, I'm guessing this is uh, that that just like classic comparison is why it's been added into 5e as like a component option. Oh, okay. And um, the mandragora plant in particular is it's a real life plant and is known for hallucinogenic and narcotic properties. I love um, both those words in a sentence together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and Jean Baptiste Pitois uh, wrote a book called The History and Practice of Magic, and it talks about the mandragora with reference to the homunculus. And so get ready for recipe number two. Recipe number two, eh? I'm I'm fucking here and ready for it. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I don't think the recipe co- touches on it. But just a quick, quick side note: the mandragora, I, I believe, was famous for like uh, it's like a, a, a plant. If you pulled it out of the ground willy nilly, um, it would scream or shriek, and the shriek would kill you instantly. As it was so piercing. If I remember my Harry Potter, that is correct. <laughs> It is, yes. And we all know Harry Potter is at the forefront of actual science. Okay, so, quote. Would you like to make a mandragora as powerful as the homunculus? Little man in a bottle. So praised by Paracelsus. Then find a root of the plant called Brioni, which is a wild hop. Take it out of the ground on a Monday the day of the moon. A little time after the vernal equinox, which is in March, cut off the ends of the root and bury it at night in some country churchyard in a dead man's grave. For 30 days, water it with cow's milk in which three bats have been drowned. (coughs) I thought I was going to get through it. Um, (laughs) Okay. I was wondering what that scratching sound was. <laughs> no, it's me laughing. <laughs> okay. I'm leaning uh, so far back from my mic. <laughs> when the 31st day arrives, take out the root in the middle of the night and dry it in an oven heated with branches of verbena, a perennial flowering plant. Then wrap it up in a piece of a dead man's winding sheet or shroud and carry it with you everywhere. End quote. <laughs> okay. What what is the next step to the goddamn recipe? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair, his book is called The History and Practice of Magic, not the his- history, practice, and results of magic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the um, result is uh, apparently a badass mandragoria, but like, we, yeah, we just get to like a, a weird pocket turnip. Oh my God. Covered in, uh, covered in his sheet. <laughs> Just, they just made shit up, man. <laughs> they, I'm crying over it. <laughs> it's killing me. <laughs> I said it before oh. and I'll say it again, but the past was a wild place. 
Oh, man. So uh, it Christ. really makes you wonder why people say, well, it's been around for so long. And that must It must make it true. Yeah. No, it's nope. not how it works. In fact, uh, that's yeah. kind of evidenced against things, it seems like. <laughs> it's exactly why we don't believe in crystal <laughs> healing. <laughs> oh, my God. It was unreliable then, and it's unreliable now. Well, time's um, been around <laughs> since the dawn of time. Well, yeah, and we were wrong. It's not time. It's space time. <laughs> We've been time. wrong many you... times. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, man. Like it's the okay, oldest so, measurable concept that I can think of, and we were yeah. so wrong about it. <laughs> uh, so two beautiful recipes for uh, a homunculus and a mandragora as powerful as a homunculus. Uh, we'll get to a few honorable mentions before we move into mechanics. Excellent. Um, Excellent. Historically, I, I don't want to advocate that you try this one because I don't love the drowning of bats. I love bats. Yeah. The purposeful drowning of bats and cow's milk is a bit much. If you find some cow's milk where three bats accidentally drown, <laughs> and you want to send us some photos of you trying this experiment, we will upvote you. We, we will give you a platform to speak on. The bats have to be accidentally drowned. It's got to be hum- hum- humanely and naturally drowned in cow's milk. And then we'll, we'll yeah, you'll, we'll throw I, our support behind you. Ideally not endangered bats. Yeah. Uh, I, I Encounter this is a probat podcast. Hundred percent, one hundred percent. They're so cool. Um, so uh, honorable mentions, history, a his- historical honorable mention uh, comes. I, I did. I, I, that's how I throw wrote. history. I, in there. I did. I don't know. I I, I feel like. I feel, I feel like uh, when I wrote the notes, this I was like, "Oh, this this one's more historical. This one's more pop culture." So maybe there's some other ones. So I was I started writing like you know before each one, history, pop culture, and it oh just turned God. out to be history, pop culture, pop culture, pop culture, pop culture. I'm excited so, to see where this goes. Like, how many honorable mentions can you have from pop culture? Uh, there are five. Okay, <laughs> so let's let's, um, let's I'm gonna stop crying and we can do this. Yeah. Uh, so, oh my God. Uh, the, our historical honorable mention comes from uh, an Austrian count named Johann Ferdinand von Kufstein and an Italian cleric named Abbe Geloni. Reputedly, uh, they created 10 homunculi with the ability to see in the future. Kufstein kept them in glass containers in his Masonic lodge in Vienna. Um, and there is a Masonic handbook called De Sphinx, written by Dr. Emil Bezetsny. A whole chapter is apparently dedicated to the uh, to what are called, and uh, bear with me here, Vorsagenden Geister. Vorsagenden Geister. I know. Uh, it means scrying <laughs> ghosts in uh, German or Austrian, I, I'm uh, assuming. Uh, these ghosts have apparently been seen by several people, including local dignitaries. But that's about all I could really find on it without uh, actually getting a hold of the book myself. Okay. Um, so there is yet another weird thing to throw under the uh, Masonic Lodge uh, belt that's uh, totally weird and gnarly. And they'll probably hunt me down uh, and kill me for that comment. I, d- I, don't, I don't think so. They spend most of their time these days riding around in go-cars with fez hats, from if, if the Simpsons <laughs> have taught me correct. That's not the Masons, that's the Shriners. I, I thought they were the same I thing. don't know the difference, <laughs> but I know they're called I think Shriners. They're Shriners. <laughs> I think Shriners are Masons. I'm prepared to be corrected I wouldn't by be anybody surprised. who's one or, one or the they other. Are a, the, they are a uh, fraternity lodge of some kind, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, related or not, um, probably uh, lots of just weird old white men. Um, 
doing terrible things in the background. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Probably. Our first pop culture reference comes from our lovely Sir Thomas Brown. I think I'm now suddenly Aww. realizing that I this one actually should say history, not pop culture. <laughs> um, but uh, maybe it's both. Well, maybe it's both because we we reference Sir Thomas Brown. This whole thing feels like pop culture. <laughs> yeah, um, the Masons are pop culture. Uh, you can't have history of a fictitious creature. Uh, yeah, I guess that just makes it pop culture. Is that how that works? I think it just makes it lower. I think yeah. pop culture has to be in the forefront of culture. Right. Okay. Well, our lovely Sir Thomas Brown, uh, who we've mentioned previously in Unicorns, uh, and his book Pseudodoxia Epidemica, or I'm going to do this again because it's so great, uh, also known as Inquiries into <laughs> Very Many Received Tenets and Commonly Presumed Truths. It's such a great title for a book. <laughs> uh, he also wrote a book Fantastic called... Book. Religio Medici, or the religion of a doctor, um, in which he simply states... Interesting. Interesting choice of words. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was a cheeky son of a bitch. Uh, yep. In this book, he simply states, I am not of Paracelsus' mind that boldly delivers a receipt to make a man without conjunction. <laughs> okay, so he comes out hard against homunculus. <laughs> yeah, basically. He's like, what a bunch of bullshit. But much more eloquently said. Um I mean, I don't know much about Religio Medici or the religion of a doctor. I can only assume, based on what little research I've done so far, is that it is, is a very probably a very tongue-in-cheek title. And, um, I mean, he himself, I believe, was a doctor. And um, uh, probably, uh, you know, specifically chose that for the paradoxical nature of, of the title. Um, right. I'll, I'll reach out to... Um Justin and Sydney of Sawbones fame and see if they'll do an episode on uh, Religio Medici. That would be awesome. And, uh, if, if they do, I'll link that in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, check out Sawbones. So good. Um, yeah, they're wonderful. So uh, we also have a Romanian academic, uh, Professor Radu Florescu. Uh, suggests, what a good name. Right? Holy uh, shit. Actually, when I wrote that, I thought, man, that's an NPC right there. <laughs> Professor yeah. Radu Florescu. Steal that. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm also betting that I'm pronouncing it terribly wrong because I have no idea what the Romanian language even sounds like. Oh, Romanian. He's, he was Romanian, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got nothing. <laughs> so he suggested that Johann Conrad Dippel, an alchemist born in Castle Frankenstein, may have been the primary influence of Mary Shelley's Victor Frankenstein. The construction of Frankenstein's monster was done through alchemical means. Uh, that was his claim, essentially. Um Right. so That uh, actually makes sense. Right. Uh, Johann Conrad Dippel is, is actually credited as being the, um, the inspiration Straight for Von Frankenstein. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, not, not by Mary Shelley herself, right. but there's, if I remember correctly, there's evidence that um, uh, Percy Shelley introduced them a couple of times. Okay. And, and cool. Conrad Dippel was pretty into galvanism. Right. Uh, interesting. So cool. Um, so that, that one's a proper pop culture reference, I would say. Why do I know so much about this? I don't know. <laughs> Why didn't you do the research? I don't know either. Where <laughs> did I get this, this information <laughs> from? <laughs> well, you, you did say you read a whole bunch of alchemy books, so you might, must have picked it up along the way somewhere. Uh, yeah, but like, how do I know info. so much about Mary Shelley's life? <laughs> I mean, she's great. I love her. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on board. Maybe with, you had a schoolboy crush Shelley. on her or something. I guess, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and so we've also got uh, the play Faust Part 2 also known as Faust, the second part of the tragedy. The second part of the tragedy. <laughs> what a good name. 
Faust Part Two, the second part. <laughs> no, no, so that was that's two separate titles for it. <laughs> Faust Part I know, two. but I want it to be the same one. <laughs> uh, so uh, this is written by uh, playwright Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Von Goethe. Von Goethe. Uh, von Goethe. Von Goethe. Um, famously, it features uh, an alchemically created homunculus. The character embodies the quest of a pure spirit to be born in a mortal body, which contrasts the title character Faust's own desire to shed his mortal body to become a pure spirit. Uh, This represents an alchemical idea that the soul is not imprisoned in the body, but instead uh, may find its brightest state as it passed through the material plane. That's sort of a a quote from uh, from, uh, an idea... uh, about this play um right. i thought that was pretty interesting because i because it kind of sp- it steps back a bit to what we we're saying where you know there, there there was a bit of a f- uh alchemy as a philosophy and and there was this this taquin in muslim alchemy where it's it's a, a goal and uh so that was a very strong symbolism in that play in regards to whether or not the soul um is imprisoned in a body and whether or not i can drift to and from um, yeah, and fun fact, Faust is my second favorite opera. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> I, I yeah, don't it's think by I've, Charles Gounod. I don't think I've ever uh, seen or listened to an opera at all. I've, I mean, I'm it's sure really I've, good. I've listened to some songs for sure, but it's never been... For sure. It's it's become more of an interest of mine, I guess, over the... When I was younger, I used to think, ah, opera, dumb, <laughs> you know? Uh, and right. uh, now I'm just like, opera... God, that's impressive. <laughs> you know? It really is. It's <laughs> so, incredible. Uh, some, but something I've not, I've not uh, dipped uh, my toes into uh, too much. Yeah, so the Faust opera is, is based on uh, Johann Wolfgang von Gauss' uh, Faust Part 1, and it's composed by Charles Gounod. Okay, um, cool. Originally done in French, but it's, it's really, really good. All right. A really quick, uh, really quick pop culture reference. Uh, William Makepeace Thackeray, a novelist, author, and illustrator, used homunculus as a pen name. Also a really good name. Mm-hmm. The list of pop culture references honestly goes on. There's lots of actually on, on, just on the basic Wikipedia page of, of, uh, of notes and stuff. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll land on one that you know a little bit more than I do about. It's been so long since I watched it. And I don't think I've actually seen the whole way through. But Full Metal Alchemist. I haven't either. Okay, sure. So <laughs> yeah. a couple of novices. But Full Metal Alchemist, at least, for, uh, does reference uh, homunculi and um, uh, obviously alchemy. Uh, and anyone who, uh, I mean, anyone listening to this, uh, not to polarize our, our audience, uh, I would say it's a pretty good chance they are somewhat familiar with Full, full Metal Alchemist at the very least. Uh, but I always loved the the intro uh, premise about you know the um, trying to bring their mother back, Edward and Alphonse Elric, and uh, and how they suffer horribly due to the law of equivalent exchange, it's called. Uh, and yeah, I just I just thought it was really cool. And I do remember you telling me recently we were talking about this a bit uh, off mic, but how there are homunculi in the series. But I cannot confirm. Right, that. sure. Like we just kind of. We're, we're kind of tossing the idea around that you know some of the some of the, was it, uh, would they be enemies or antagonists or something like that that they face yeah. a series of them so yeah that's uh, uh that's it that's it that's it for for the lore uh it's, it's so uh, the, looking at the differences 
uh, it's pretty obvious that there's so much more in the cultural lore and history, real life stuff, uh, than there is in uh, 5e. Um, uh, or like Dungeons yeah. & Dragons in general. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's cool that there's a, they have a, a, a place in it. Um, after reading all of that, though, it makes me wish there was a lot more to them. Um, I wonder if it's because they're so similar to like gargoyles and golems that they just didn't want to muddy the waters there, but they wanted to give an option for like a really sweet wizard familiar. Yeah, I, maybe. Um, now that being said, I, I didn't come across anything uh, mechanically for them to. Uh, I, I, it's, it's pretty. It stands to reason they could become a wizard familiar of some kind. Uh, mayhaps you could look at uh, you know let's have wizard casts find familiar for example maybe they can use that to create a homunculus or something like that um, and may- maybe you could you know talk with your DM about being a more permanent basis or something but um, but it does uh, it does there does seem to be a certain lack to it now that being said we have two stat blocks to look at uh, because as far as an artificer goes, they do have a little bit more beef to them, and they are more permanent familiar, but it's only for the artificer class. Right. Um, so I keep forgetting that they made that a real thing in 5e. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when they were, for 5e, when they were playtesting the artificer class, they had four archetypes. There was the alchemist, artillerist, archivist, and battlesmith. Uh, and the one that didn't make the cut was the archivist, and the archivist had the homunculus. Uh, they actually, and it sounds like the best one. And it uh, it was my favorite one. It was the one I wanted to play the most. Um, but they sort of compromised, and uh, basically all all archetypes, uh, the artificer as a, as a base class, gets uh, a feature called infusions. So they can basically replicate um, magic effects or magic items um, via their sort of knowledge. Of the, of the universe or physics or whatever. I don't think they really specify science, but it's the way I've, I've always interpreted it. They have like a, a, a more mathematical or physics-based uh, idea, and they're able to recreate uh, magic through that. And um, the uh, uh, homunculus now stands as a uh, universal infusion that they can that can do. You have to be a minimum level six, I can tell you that, to be able to do it. Um, okay. But... Uh, What's crazy about it is, that as far as the three that they have for archetypes, uh, only the alchemist does not standardly come with some sort of familiar or uh, companion, if you will. Um, but there's nothing in the rules, and trust me, I've read them over and over, uh, that uh, says that a, an, an artillerist can't still have their you know little artillery creature and a homunculus, and the battlesmith can't have their steel defender companion. And a homunculus, which could make them extraordinarily powerful. Unless there's a rule I missed somewhere where you can't have more than one familiar, but even then they're not referenced as familiars. Um, they are artificial creations. Um, okay. So first we'll cover the basic mechanics coming from the monster manual. Um, they are a CR0 creature, and which I think is a first for us. Um, they have an HP of 5, natural armor uh, 13 AC. They are tiny, neutral, and construct. They do have a fly speed, 40-foot fly speed. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and they can they know any language of their, of their creator, essentially, but again, cannot speak. And true to form, like any construct, um, they have immunity to poison, uh, both the damage and the condition, as well as charmed in this uh, for them. And uh, dark vision and telepathic bond, like it's described. 
uh, and it's it's pretty straightforward. And they have a bite attack. Uh, the bite attack does come with a DC 10 con save or be poisoned. Get the poison condition for one minute. Uh, and then there's also a failure by five or more, and the poison uh, works for five or 1d10 minutes, and you are unconscious in this poisoned way. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there is a small chance that they could uh, put you down and out. Uh, again, maybe a bit of a spy or something like that that could be used for. But other, all, uh, otherwise, like pretty mundane and, and, and not much to them, not much beef. I mean, that's pretty indicative of, of the cultural lore, right? Like, they're not, they're not supposed to be beefcakes or bodyguards. That's what the... Right. Um, that's, that's the role the golem fills. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 100%. Now, we'll move into the Artificer one, which is specifically called Homunculus Servant. Uh, it does have its own okay. separate stat block uh, in the Eberron uh, setting uh, book. And uh, it's, does not, it has a negligible or unavailable or not applicable CR. Uh, because it actually does kind of, to some degree, level up with the Artificer. Uh, so it's HP. Oh, okay. Yeah, its HP is 100%. Kind of like an animal companion. Yeah, sort of, yeah. So they have, like, flat stats across, like, strength, dex, con, and all that. Uh, their HP is calculated by adding their own con mod, which starts at just a plus one, uh, plus the Artificer's Intelligence mod, which is their spellcasting modifier, and the Artificer's level. So as soon as you're able to get it, um, basically, the minimum amount of HP at level six is going to be 6 plus a potential of 5 plus 1. So you're looking at about 12 HP, which is uh, you know, a little more than double the CR0 homunculus. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, there's still uh, neutral, still construct. Uh, the fly speed is reduced from the original setback from, from 40 to 30. Not really sure why, but there it is. It's probably just to keep up with the uh, PCs. Yeah. And um, language is the same. Uh Poison's the same, although uh, for condition immunities, they swapped out charm for exhaustion. Um, arguably, I would just probably include both for both. Yeah, because they're constructs. Right. So it, it yeah. definitely definitely stands to reason that would be there. Uh, the homunculus servant does have an increase to uh, deck saving throws, starting at a plus four. Uh, so they do have plus two standardly, but uh, then they are obviously weird. proficient in it. So it only pops up. That, be- is, that is a weird one to choose, I would think. Why, why would you say that? Well, traditionally, constructs are slower creatures. I get that it's a nimble because it's on wings, but it's a construct. Why wouldn't you give its its um, proficiency to constitution? Um, yeah, I mean, I have no argument against that. <laughs> Absolutely okay. none. I thought you might. No, I, I really just, don't. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm with you on that one. Uh, holy, did, did, we, did we finally agree? <laughs> oh my god especially after last week's episode <laughs> the second wave of covid is gonna start tonight yeah. um so uh, now the uh yeah i feel like i'm with you on that i mean obviously they're not beefcakes but it you know they are constructs so constitution um i mean i think i think if you look at like pathfinder and starfinder maybe 3.5 rules um you're looking at more of a they, they have construct immunities so uh, this party yeah. must be like, yeah, if it makes you throw it makes it, if it's a construct and you have to roll a con save, just forget it. They don't have to, um, kind of like undead don't have to do fortitude and say pathfinder or whatever. Right. Um, right, right. They're just immune to yeah, those conditions. Yeah. I mean, but that being said, there's no reason to think that these things aren't a bit wily. So I don't think, I don't think Dex is, a is, a wrong. Um, no, it's definitely not the weirdest. If one. anything, the weirdest it's one just weird intelligence. That, right. <laughs> if anything, it's just weird that constitution isn't included. Uh, maybe yeah, both should be there. 
it's 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 an interesting um mm-hmm. oversight yeah and then uh in tandem with the dexterity saving throw proficiency they also have uh proficiency to stealth uh, they are tiny nimble i would assume oh uh and okay uh, so they're going down that road that but now now that sure. dex save makes okay. more sense yeah and they also have a boost to perception as well um which uh, uh by the numbers uh is a double proficiency because they have a plus zero wisdom but they have a plus four to their perception um right but it's not just them seeing it it's the creator too right, right? exactly um so I, I think that would kind of count for that definitely like the, that extra t- plus two is the the creator's um yeah and wh- how i've been playing i only just recently uh, i've had the uh, uh, option for a while but i kind of was going for a flavor moment with uh, my current character who uh uh, I've I've been able to fluidly uh, use my checks between myself and, and the homunculus. Uh, the DM's been very very uh, open to that because you know you can see and hear through it. And we discussed like the length and stuff like that uh, of options, like you know how far away does it be. And we ended up, uh, he ended up ruling that it as long as you're on the same plane, it doesn't matter. Uh, as far as the senses oh, go, weird. yeah. As far as the senses go, uh, there is a, a limit to another limit that we are coming up upon that's absolutely uh, in effect, but. Um, but as far as the census goes... You should look so at the Eidolon rules for the Summoner and Pathfinder and, and take some inspiration from yeah, them. They're really well done. That's not a bad idea. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, but it's, it's, to, it's to a small degree. It's like, you know, if, if he's across town kind of thing, you know, I can still, you know, if it sees something magical, I can still roll my Arcana check and translate right. that. And he could still, I could still, it sort of can still speak for me. Uh, that being said, uh, the DM's also uh, taken liberties with control over the homunculus and even voicing it, uh, giving it a voice that, that technically isn't in the rules, but it's been really, really fun uh, because, and we'll get into it. There's a reason why, because the reason I created a homunculus to begin with is very flavorful uh, and okay. why, and it's why I waited. Um, well, specifically, so uh, what I'm, what I guess I'm trying to say is that ability to see and hear and use the homunculus senses for the summoner and pathfinder is a specific ability that lasts for a certain number of rounds per day. Okay, and it takes uh, it takes about a minute to start up. Okay, yeah, all right. So that uh, that sounds much more balanced. Uh, well, it then find me. It also <laughs> makes more sense. It would be very distracting to see through two sets of eyes at all. For times. sure. Yeah. 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 And uh, 5e is so forgiving. <laughs> it just lets you do oh, yep. so much that shit. Is, that is correct. <laughs> um, so uh, we'll just finish off the homunculus servant here. They also have a, few, a couple of abilities. Uh, it doesn't specify the telepathic bond in the stat block, but uh, I believe it says, it's, I'm pretty sure it says it somewhere in the descriptions. Um, so like the infusion it might description say it in itself. the artificer yeah. stat block. Yeah. 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 So um, the, uh, they have evasion. Uh, so it's the usual, you know, uh, okay. deck save, uh, half if they fail, uh, nothing if they succeed. They also have Might of the Master, and this is what keeps them sort of up to date as you level up. Uh, basically, the following numbers increase by one when your proficiency bonus increases by one. So the homunculus is skills, uh, saving throw bonuses, and bonuses to hit and damage. So that deck save, uh, or that deck saving throw will go up by one. The perception of the self will go up by one. And their damage and uh, to hit will go up by one. Uh, once I, I really like that. 
It's very simple. I really, really yeah, like that. It's really role. good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, really clean. It's really simple. It's it's one of the better examples of how streamlined five E is right. and, and really, really good job on that yeah. rule, whoever wrote that. That's D- that's doesn't make you like you know, a bit frustrated when when I first uh, uh created the cavalier in your game and we're trying to figure out how to how to, how to chat yeah because that's based on a combination <laughs> of uh pathfinder and traveler and some other game mm. um right. i think it's uh um what is the name of the uh the game where you're it's like technological magic in the future but it's set in a real gritty world um oh shadow run Shadowrun. So it's based on a combination of those three systems. Mm. But this is way easier. It's way <laughs> easier. It's a much better You can rule. adopt that pretty quick. Uh, add, yeah. subtract, change things out. Uh, it's so quick. It's a, it's a very good basis for sure. Um, yeah, now, as far as point, actions go, uh, they uh, have just have a ranged attack called Force Strike. It's plus four to hit standard, 30-foot range, single target, 1d4 plus two force damage. That's it. Now, of course, that again, that uh, p- that plus okay. two will go up by one. That plus four will go up by one right. when you your proficiency bonus. So it's a magical m- magic missile with an attack roll, more or less, yeah, uh, and just yeah. a single hit. Um, and then here's the sort of beefy part that's very limited uh, as far as range goes. Well, not very limited, but limited, you know, in comparison to say tele- telepathic bond. Uh, but uh, they have channel magic, so they function like a familiar, more or less, like say through. Uh, I think warlocks can use this, maybe just. Uh, Familiars in general, but uh, you can deliver touch attacks, uh, touch spells, sorry, through uh, the homunculus uh, as long as it's within 120 feet of you. And it does take the take the homunculus's uh, reaction uh, in the economy. Okay. Um, yep, that is correct in, in the find familiar spell, except it's 100 feet in front of you. I've got it open. Gotcha. Me now. Cool. Uh, so yeah, that, that stands to reason. It is, it's it, for all intents and purposes, it is a familiar. <laughs> it just doesn't cost a spell uh, to create. Um, yeah, well, find familiar is a ritual. Oh, is it ritual? Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, how long does yeah, it last? What's the duration? Uh, pretty much forever. Oh, that's pretty. That's pretty uh, sweet. So you gain the service of a familiar. Um, whatever, the statistics of the chosen fiend. Uh, rolls its own initiative. When the familiar drops to zero hit points, it disappears, leaving behind no physical form. Reappears when you cast the spell again. So the first time you cast it, you are technically bound to this familiar, and then okay. from then on, um, it's it's just good. And all the all the other same stats as a uh, as the the homunculi, except you can you can dismiss this as an action uh, right. and have it reappear as an action. Okay, cool. Um, well, I like this spell a lot. Yeah, really, it's, really, it's pretty. Now it's that I'm reading it, I really probably underused spell. quite a bit. Yeah, I, my I, only problem with it is that it's a conjuration spell. Uh, you think it be should be transmutation or something? Well, I, I think the argument could be made because the alchemist is a transmuter. Like that's their third level ability is is alchemy. Right. Um, I get I get the conjuration aspect of it, but if it were. If you came to me and said, "Hey, I want to play a transmuter with a homunculi familiar," I'd be like, "Okay, this this is now a transmutation." Spell. Right. Well, I, I think that's 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 where, um, yeah, I like that because that's a good homebrew aspect. It's like it's one of those things where like uh, it probably shouldn't uh, it shouldn't be homebrew. It should already be kind of baked in. You'd think that'd be part of maybe the um, uh, 
the description of Find Familiar. But it does seem to me that Find Familiar is is more of a like you know pulling something from a different plane and you know sort of enslaving it even right. Um, and uh, whereas uh, yeah, so it actually says a spirit that takes on the form of one of these specific right. Animals. So you are, you so are it, pulling you, something from somewhere else and and taking yeah. control of it. Whereas among this, you are crafting and constructing it. Um, and I think that's a really cool idea. We'd be like, hey, I am a wizard who takes the transmutation school as a specialty. Can I use this spell uh, if I have the appropriate ingredients to craft a homunculus in its place as a transmutation spell? Uh, and like, I would have a very hard time finding a way to say no to that. It, it would be almost impossible. Yeah. Like even even some of the the, the familiar aspects are have to be at least CR zero. You know. Mm. Um, speaking of, uh, of uh, cool ideas, I have a mechanic honorable mention. Uh, oh. And it goes back to, I did say it earlier, the Lord of Blades and his homunculi in the Eberron setting uh, uh, named Hilt and Pummel. It doesn't... And we need to acknowledge how great those names are. They really are, right? <laughs> uh, there is an awesome, awesome picture uh, of this, uh, this NPC. I, I don't remember if he... Uh, existed in or exists in the 5e uh, setting uh, I would be surprised if he didn't um, but there's a picture of him from the uh, 3.5 and it's really good uh, I'll quickly show it to you yeah so that's sweet. that's the picture there that that's from 3.5 uh, that's on our Instagram I did I did post that while I was doing the research on this um, uh, he's I'm so pretty cool. sure that's what Alfonso was based off of. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so super cool. Hilton Pommel specifically uh, rec- uh, crafted by this guy, and they were advanced, uh, described as advanced homunculi. They were small in size as opposed to tiny, and they were quote sheathed in studded leather. Um, one of the uh, racial traits of a warforge is that uh, they can don armor, but it uh, it takes them an hour because they have to integrate it with their body uh, and it also takes them an hour to take it off I believe so there is that sort of caveat um, but the upside is that uh, it can't be forcibly removed um, oh so you can't uh, if you capture a warforge put him in prison kind of thing you, you can't take the armor off of them which is kind of cool um, so these uh, homunculi had that feature so they, they were sheathed in studded leather armor and they primarily helped their master to flank an enemy and use uh, aid and other actions. And they were also granted the feat mobility uh, to protect themselves from attacks of opportunity. And if they were destroyed, the Lord of Blades took 2d10 damage, uh, himself being a CR13 creature with HP of 121. Um, wow. Yeah, and so beyond there, I didn't really write down like what their own stats were uh, or what kind of damage they did and stuff, but I just thought it was a cool cool concept to have this... this uh, Lord of Blades Warforged, who, by the way, his goal uh, was to unite Warforged into either kill or enslave all organic humanoids. Or pe- sorry, I think it's I think it's people or like uh, organic creatures of flesh. What's um, <laughs> like uh, the specific quote? Uh, so he was, uh, awesome. he was he was a really aggressive dude. <laughs> yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so Hilton Pommel, uh, mechanic honorable mention for the first time here on this uh, here on Encounter This uh, for all your <laughs> unique uh, honorable mentions. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> we haven't used that one in a while. You've heard it here first. Sagacious. 
Sagwishes. Love it. Um, uh, but that's uh, mechanically that's it. That's that's all I've got. That's all I get for five e D and D lore, IRL mechanics, so on and so forth. I do have some uh, homebrew or personal experience to go through, but I want to know what you yeah. got first. If you have um, anything. Honestly, beyond the transmuter taking the homunculi as a familiar, I don't have a whole lot. Right. I love constructs. I love homunculi. I, I love the concept of alchemy and, and how it's kind of shaped our world. Yeah. The problem with the CR0 is that they're nigh impossible to use in an encounter, in my experience. Right. Yeah. It's just none of it, n- nothing about it seems worth my time because it's one of those things that you would encounter on its own. Mm-hmm. And in order for that to be a viable threat to the party, it would have to be encountered on its own with something else. Right. It does, and you, you know me playing in my games that I very rarely use things out of the player's handbooks. So mm-hmm. I very rarely, right. I try to very rarely give villains right. PC abilities. Mm-hmm. So the idea of having a wizard enemy with a monkey life familiar is kind of beyond my the scope of my imagination. Right. It does seem strange that they they have this in the monster manual, but no specific mechanic for it to be created uh, and utilized uh, for the players, unless it's somewhere in the DMG that I've missed. Um, it, it doesn't really uh, it doesn't really stand up because, like you said, uh, it's it's basically negligible in combat uh, for as an enemy. Uh, even a swarm of these things just would would not really be a threat to a level one party. Um, and a swarm of them really wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they're a good flavor creature. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you do walk into that, that library and there's a wizard, and but the first thing you encounter is the homunculus flying around doing things, and you're like, what the hell is that thing? Uh, that'd be fun, but it's like, why, why has it got a whole page to itself in the monster manual if that's all it's good for? Uh, there's got to be more to yeah, this. Yeah, it, it feels like it should be at the back of the monster manual with like the blink dog and, and right. other shit. Like, yeah. like the blink dog doesn't have a full page, but the homunculite does. It it mm. kind of feels half finished, very similar to our last episode yeah. uh, with the Eth Hounds not having the huntsman. Right, yeah. Yeah, ex- exactly, yeah. Um, so the, there, there is that general feel. Uh, we've come across it a, a few times here and there for sure, but I, I feel like especially, yeah, just Yeth Hounds on this one um, really stand out in that regard. They do feel a bit yeah, uh, half-finished. Uh, we definitely covered it a bit in Hags, too, where, like, you know, we, we could tell what they were trying to do, but they just didn't flesh it out in some of those, like, sort of flavorful aspects. And, you know, um, it could have used yeah. a little bit more love. Um, and I get that it's on us to add those flavorful aspects, yeah. but I'd really love the stats of, like, an undead huntsman or a um, an evil transmuter. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just call it an alchemist. Yeah. Like, just do the stats of an alchemist who's got a homunculi, and then later on he's got a golem. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a, what, you know, what I find strange is that, we, you know, sometimes you get a stat block like this, when you get a whole page, and, and, you know, there's a couple paragraphs, but it's like, you know, you really could, all you really need to do is add a few more paragraphs of creativity and, 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 and thoughts on how it's creature to function. And it, it's not going to, it's not going to, like, imbalance your world. Uh, it's just going to inspire the people who use it, right? And um, and uh, yeah. but th- there's just a lack of that. It, it only takes a little bit more creative writing uh, added to the page, uh, or another page, and, and it's that Hags much more. I think did it pretty well. What's that? Sorry, um, where I think Hags did it pretty well. Where mm. there was like how to beef up Hags in a little little note box. Yeah, like yeah. how to make them a coven. I I think the homunculi. Excuse me. I think the homunculi should be like like that. It should be an add on to an alchemist. Right. Yeah. 
Like we should have the stats on the lore of an alchemist, and then here's how to beef it up. Give it this little homunculi, dude. Well, I mean, that, I mean that's what we have, but it took us getting to the Eberron setting to get that. You know, they, these guys right. have been in the yeah. muster manual for you know since since it was first released. You know, it's you know why why wasn't yeah. that there? I mean, it's fine if they wanted to save homunculus for later or alchemist for later. Uh, fine, but like why why wasn't why weren't these creatures like you know considered for well, uh, like a transmutation wizard or something like that? Why why wasn't there a connection already uh, like you know put in? Yeah, so my issue with that is that Eberron doesn't... So these monster manuals are based on the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. So the homunculus right. exists in the Forgotten Realms, and Eberron is a, is a completely different world. Right. So whether it's in the Eberron manual or, or not is kind of irrelevant. It's how am I supposed to use the homunculi in the Forgotten Realms and the Sword Coast. Right, and, and, and they like don't said, give like, us a whole lot for that. I don't think alchemy exists in Forgotten Realms uh, you know, as, as a, as a does, whole entity, yeah. does it? No, it does, yeah. It's part of the transmutation wizard. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. there you go. So, uh, they, again, you've just, you've just you've 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 made it even more specific as to why there should have been more uh, available for the the launch of this yeah. creature. Uh, so, transmutation wizard's second a level ability is minor alchemy, and their sixth level ability is transmuter stone, which is obviously the philosopher's stone. Right. Yeah. Well, um, damn. And then after that, they get weird. So I, I'm just I'm confused as to why there's not like just a straight up stat block of an alchemist. Right. Uh, well, uh, shame on wizards. <laughs> hashtag, yeah. hashtag shame on wizards. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no, oh God, don't do that. <laughs> get in some trouble. On that note, this might be the latest we've ever done it, um, but uh, this episode is not, but we wish it was brought to you by uh, Blackmail Stout. Oh, Jesus Christ, I forgot we missed the ad break. <laughs> we missed the ad break. Uh, we try to aim oh, it man. for around the mechanics time. That's sort of the general trend, but you know, we feel it out. And um, well, uh, I almost forgot. Actually, I, I, that's so crazy. I feel like we just got so into this one, we just we genuinely uh, forgot. I've been yeah. drinking hazy IPA. I mean, you're saying all the right words to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was drinking a hazy IPA this whole time, uh, but um, uh, I looked over I and, my and there, was my, there was my can of blackmail uh, warming up to... Uh, Room temperature, which is not exactly the most ideal temperature uh, these days, because my God, it's is it warm? About a million degrees. Yeah, but uh, it'll um, still be good and delicious warm. Um, uh, well, and you know, thank you, strange fellows. Thank you, listeners. Yeah, actually, I went straight down to the brewery today to pick this one up. So hopefully, it's that much more fresh. It's dedication. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good bike ride. Yeah, nothing says fresh quite like aged beer. <laughs> Um, oh, Christ. So, well, <laughs> well, I'll, 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 uh, so you have no particular, uh, experience. I, I got nothing, with this creature, but yeah. I'm, I'm reading in the notes that you have a homunculus servant yes. named Casey Jones, and no, <laughs> I need, I need that information. Okay, so it's, it's actually not, it's not named Casey Jones, but, uh, the reason I created it was because of a character named Casey Jones. Um, like the character named Casey Jones? So you met my friend Aaron. Uh, he's been playing in that campaign. He is a night as uh, to to his in his own right. He is a nightmare and a blessing to play with. Uh, he's got very <laughs> little attention span, um, and uh, he struggles with creativity to a degree. And he it's a uh, he's also a wonderful Patreon donor. He has a wonderful Patreon donor. We do not <laughs> want to lose. He's used to my uh, emotional and mental abuse, so uh, we could say honestly whatever we want, and he'll, he'll still he'll maintain okay. that uh, that donorship. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I say that now, but. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, he uh, we constantly joke about how it's it would be impossible for him to to not play like a purely chaotic character because um, he really constantly throws everyone for a loop. Uh, but he honestly does it in some of the most entertaining ways. And um, and my buddy Max, who's so good at embracing so many types of players, he's absolutely incredible at it. And we're playing this this campaign for, with seven players. And sometimes it's a slog for some of us, but he's he's does his best and he does a really good job of keeping it balanced. And and we're currently about to go into a shift that involves more my character and Aaron's character and another one. Uh, but in particular, Aaron is playing uh, a character named Casey Jones, who is a moose ator, uh, homebrew Great name, homebrew moose minotaur, uh, named Casey. Uh, he's from he's from the uh, it, this literally in Max's uh, homebrew world, which he's been working on for years and uh, has been in this has been in there for a while. Uh, and uh, he's from Kanahata, uh, up in the north. And he uh, uses um, a hockey stick uh, called the Persuader as his weapon. <laughs> Is this just a screenplay for Kevin Smith's third movie, <laughs> Moose Jaws? And uh, it's so good. And basically, his people were massacred. He's uh, looking for his father who who went out for cigarettes years ago and um, is like constantly running around uh, causing problems. I, we, need, we might need to cut your mic. I legitimately think this is just a plot to Moose Jaws. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Aaron pulls, like I said, like he, please, he struggles. Please don't sue us, Kevin Smith. <laughs> he, he struggles with creativity. So he definitely pulls from all these different angles. So he, he's Well, Moose Jaws isn't even out yet. I, That's the problem. He hasn't even secured funding for it. But everything I know about it is is it's this movie uh, except his father's played by johnny depp and casey jones amazing. is played by harley quinn smith <laughs> amazing um so i mean his his immediate goal he's basically obsessed with uh i don't know cake uh uh gets really excited. i my character mentioned uh he had a birthday present for him so he thought it, he immediately was convinced that it was his birthday he's kind of the, the really large bumbling idiot uh, who uh, accidentally saved? I think he accidentally did something heroic. It was before I entered the campaign, and, and is now convinced that he is a hero because lots of people were calling him a hero, and he loves to give out his autograph, which my character now happily um, uh, creates for him uh, via his uh, expertise in calligraphy supplies. <laughs> um, okay. And, um, so there's a whole, obviously there's a lot of layers to this. Uh, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, but uh, at one point, I had promised him uh, I had a birthday present that I was creating. And this birthday present was, in fact, a homunculus that I slowly uh, took the time. It's a, again, for the class, it is an uh, artificer infusion. Uh, so I could have done it at level six. I didn't create it till level seven. In fact, we're, I'm pretty sure we're almost level eight. And I only just uh, finally uh, introduced it, more or less, uh, like maybe two weeks ago from this recording. And uh, I crafted it with what little knowledge I had of what his father might look like. Uh, and that's like the main thing. He's like, "Have you seen my okay. dad?" That's what he, he walks. That's what he walks around. He just asks strangers all the time, "Have you seen my dad?" <laughs> and um, so I've you, I've created this homunculus in a, in a, for a way to influence and control uh, this really chaotic character. We've all found our ways to do it. Uh, and this is yet another one, and uh, it's a little tiny moose. Uh, it has a fly speed, so its antlers flap. Uh, it's got a little a hockey stick, uh, so when it does its force strike, uh, it, it shoots a puck um, <laughs> that forms out of force energy. That's fantastic. <laughs> so on, so forth. Uh, yeah, and it's it's been absolutely host. And uh, so he calls it. Uh, um, 
it's it's his. He knows it's not his father, but it's like the likeness of his father. And somewhere along the line, he named it Junior Junior. Um, and it's he calls it his father son, and it's supposed to call him his son father in return. <laughs> and uh, so it's really it, it's really messed up. It's a really really <laughs> intensive bit. There's a lot of prep that went into that. So much. So and it's been weeks of development, kind of thing. And so it's been absolutely hilarious. And so they you know they skate around. They you know ice skates and stuff. <laughs> as best they can and uh yeah it's great it's a lot of fun <laughs> that's my experience right. with homunculus aaron if you're listening <laughs> i want you to reach out and let let us and the listening audience know because i'm sure it's the burning question at the back of everyone's <laughs> mind Stephen amell or elias Coteus? oh yeah i mean if i were to weigh in on that it would be what the fuck is that um so, Aaron, uh, yes, definitely reach out and let us know. <laughs> I don't know, because I don't know what he's talking about. Oh, Elias Coteus played Casey Jones in the original movies, oh. and Stephen Amell played him in, the, in uh, uh, the, 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 the latest one. I have no plan to ever watch the latest one. It's really good. The one with Bebop and Rocksteady? Yeah, it's really good. By Michael really good. Bay? Krang? I don't know if it's by Michael Bay. With, like, the I mean, really, I sure hope it's with not. With a really terrible rap song theme? Like the really I don't bad know. Is, is is it the, is it the sequel or is it the first one? The first one's really bad. The sequel's really good. I I honestly don't know. I honestly Shredder's played by an Asian I, man. I've just like strictly um, for those it. of you who don't know what we're talking about, Casey Jones is a Ninja Turtles character, <laughs> uh, belonging yeah. or invented by Kevin Eastman and uh, Peter Laird, yeah. uh, and he's awesome. Um, no, I, I I don't know. Uh, although, well, so the he's fine. Uh, you know, what? and I guarantee you that question, Aaron's Aaron, until you explain it to me, I bet you Aaron doesn't have, have would have no idea <laughs> what the oh, yeah. what the answer okay. was. <laughs> Aaron, so in the two live action movies where Casey Jones appears, <laughs> Aaron, let us know the if original you had one. any idea what he was talking about, and then answer the question. It's like it's it's Stephen Amell's only other popular role other than Arrow. <laughs> Uh, sorry, other than the Green Arrow in the hit TV show, The Arrow. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, also, he's really that. bad as Casey Jones, but uh, that movie's not bad. Uh, all right, I'm, I feel like I feel like I want to take your word for it, but I'm 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 still skeptical. I'm super skeptical. You should be. You you definitely shouldn't take my word for it. Okay. Don't watch the first one. The first one is horrible. Right. Um, but the second one, I don't feel like Michael Bay is attached, which is probably why it got good, because I don't know what happened to Michael Bay in the late 90s, um, but his movies turned to shit. Money. Money always happens. Sorry, early 2000s, I guess. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, he directed the first two Bad Boys movies, and it's hard to hate on those. I do, I do believe he did that, yeah. Um, well, we all got winners, we all got losers. But, but today, yeah, Homunculus br- I, I, was a I'm, winner. Absolutely a winner. <laughs> Um, and let us know what you guys, what you creatures think out there in podcast land. Have you used a homunculus? Do you have any plans to use a homunculus? Elias Coteus or uh, Stephen Amell? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll do an Instagram post on them. Oh <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah, who wore it better? <laughs> um, and at that rate, you can find us, well, you can find Freeman on our Instagram at encounter.pod or dot this. <laughs> I think. Yeah, encounter dot this. Yeah. Okay. If you want to get a hold of me, you can hit me up on Twitter at encounterpod. If you uh, want to get at either of us in a longer form, you can always email us at info at encounter this. 
We both check to Facebook on a regular basis, facebook.com backslash encounter this. As always, you can find us at our home on the web on it at encounterthis.ca. And if you like this episode and, you know, you feel like it's worthwhile and you want to hear more of this or you would like us to do more full time or you're interested in these side projects or anything like that, you can always find us at Encounter This on Pod on Patreon. For five bucks, you can get a handwritten letter. For $10, you can suggest a creature like one of our latest episodes, The Nothic, uh, suggested by at Boxcar Bakes, and we have an upcoming episode recommend or suggested by at General Ham Solo on all platforms. Which we're still so we're still not that. revealing what that what that request is, correct? No, we're keeping that one under wraps because yeah. that's going to be a big it's one. It's going to be a big one, yeah. And uh, don't hesitate to rate and review uh, on all platforms, but Apple really, really helps us. Like, you would not believe how much rating and reviewing on Apple helps. Uh, other than that, tell a friend, because we could use a couple more listeners. <laughs> we could always use a couple more listeners. It's always good to be, you know, we, we don't we don't speak for the sake of speaking. We like to think that our nonsense uh, is entertaining enough for, you know, sometimes even the average Joe. I mean, we're vain enough to think so, for sure. That's why we're doing this. Get our fingers crossed, at least. Uh, more importantly, thank you for listening. We could not do this without you and without your support, and you have all been absolutely wonderful and supportive. You're lovely. So, You're lovely creatures. With that, uh, we will wrap up uh, another episode from our COVID suite where we are recording remotely. And uh, we hope you are good and we hope good we hope (laughs) wow you're so genuine and we hope you're double fisting beer like i am right now i can't wait to record the next episode because we're doing it pretty much (laughs) right away and i'm uh, feeling a little tipsy down oh thanks (laughs) excellent (laughs) perfect all right bye bye